0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Long Distance Shirt, GiftBasketsOverseas.com's podcast where we talk to real people about the triumphs and tribulations in all kinds of long-distance relationships. Your host is Ali Winters, an international gift consultant who's found success in her own long-distance romances and friendships. Today we are discussing a topic we don't hear too much about. Polly We'll dive right into what polyamory is, how it works, who it's for, and why we, we're even bringing it up here on Long Distance Shirt. Today, we are bringing back Sempi, part of the marketing team for drinkablegifts.com, who has first-hand experience navigating her own polyamorous relationships. And Carmen Monroe. She spent five years in clinical mental health counseling before changing careers to bring her expertise to giftbasketsoverseas.com. Let's jump right in. Take it away, Ali.
1: Hello, Sampi. Hello, Carmen. Uh, how are you today? Hi, Ali. I'm doing well. How are you? Just great. I'm so excited to talk about the polyamory today, really. <laughs> Hi,
2: Ali. Yeah, me too. I, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes. So let's start. And I guess the most interesting part of this is to introduce the notion of polyamory. I am also eager to know more about this as well as our listeners. So Sambi, since you have some experience in this sort of field, can you give us the understanding what uh, your relationship is about? So
3: what is polyamorous in your relationship, so
1: to say? Sure.
3: So I think one of the the key things to remember is that poly isn't just one thing. Um, poly is sort of an umbrella term um, for for a lot of other things. But to focus on what poly is um, for me and in and my relationships, plural, it's the key part of poly. Is I practice this idea that uh, I can love multiple people. So I approach my relationships very openly. I talk to all of my partners very you know, bluntly, uh, and let them know that I'm of the belief that love is, you know, uh, sort of an open resource, right? You can love more than one person, but you don't have to love them all the same. Um, so I do live with one partner. Um, he's He's been my partner for a very long time, but he knows that I do um, occasionally have feelings for other people Um, sometimes this means that yes I do date somebody else sometimes this means that I just I love another person and I express that and it never really gets beyond more um, than you know a really 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 close friendship sometimes uh, you know it has in the past developed to where I have basically two boyfriends uh, which is awesome and a little bit exhausting to be completely honest Mhm. So how many partners do you have right now? Um at the moment I have just one romantic partner so the the person that I'm living with. Um but I do have Kind of a friends with benefits situation. Um, We've known each other for several years and we both have romantic feelings for each other. We're both, you know, very attached to one another, you know, romantically and and intellectually and spiritually. But we recognize that we can't date. We don't really have that time to commit to one (laughs) another. You know, He he is actually, he lives, you know, on the other side of the country from me and we just can't make sort of a, a constant relationship work so when we are able to see each other you know we we enjoy our time together when it can happen and when it can't happen we understand that you know we have these these other lives
2: <laughs> this is a great time to talk about uh defining things like love love is such a huge concept and as Sempy's pointed out already it's a, a big undertaking to uh nurture one love relationship right a lot of people are just like oh my goodness how can you possibly have more than one it's, it's hard enough uh, <laughs> I've been asked that once or twice <laughs> um, but what I have seen and experienced in polyamorous relationships is that the idea of more than one love is exactly as Sembi said more than one type of love and many polyamorous people aren't necessarily talking about sex when they're talking about loving another person, and I think it's really important to consider uh, people's needs, human needs. We—it's really easy to understand from a friendship perspective that a person's needs are never completely met only by one other person, right? Nobody has only one other person in their life for their entire life, right? Even even parents, it's like you got at least two parents yeah. and grandparents. Mm-hmm. And what are your family, in in the very broadest sense, is a multiple love relationship. Your many friends, it can be argued, are, are you are in polyamorous relationships already? You just define your affection and your levels of intimacy and your, your levels of closeness, closeness differently depending on their roles. And I believe a lot of polyamorous people might have only one partner for uh, intercourse, but another partner who intellectually stimulates them or who is really good at non-sexual affection. Just cuddling. You've got the cuddle partner. Mm-hmm. And um I think polyamorous people leave a lot more room in their lives for those kinds of definitions of love.
1: Th- that's really interesting. and I would say that in Ukrainian uh, we have two words for loving. The one refers to our those can be friends, to friends mm-hmm. and our parents. Uh, this word is lubete and if we talk about this love to as to our partners, this is another word which is kohate. This distinction gives us the understanding in what kind of relationships we are. But still, in many other languages, the word love for both parents and friends and partners is one word.
2: I'm so glad that you brought this up. Um, I, I did not know that about Ukrainian, but I often bring up a similar example in Greek. You know, in English, we just have this one word for love. But in Greek there are many different words for many different kinds of love there's agape which is possibly the most well known uh, that is a sort of a brotherly love that's a, a love that you have in fellowship with your community uh, in, in fact it's often uh, raised to a spiritual or a religious idea the idea of the, the agape love which is the a pure love that you just have in general for other humans. Uh, there's eros, which is that erotic love that you know, going to bed and and getting your rocks off kind of love. That was a totally. They had a whole separate word for that. We should bring that back. Okay. Um, and there is also a word for familial love. Uh, there is a word for the love of intellectual ideas, uh, philosophia. Is the love of wisdom from which we get the study of philosophy and so many wow. things, know. you know, spin off from that. So they had words embedded in their language for all different kinds of love that I think point to human needs for different kinds of affection. We need safety and security of a long term partner, I think, like a domestic partner. The one who makes the business of day-to-day life, like, okay to do. But we also need intellectual stimulation. We need affection. We need other things. We need, you know, the joker in our lives. The one who just can make you laugh no matter what's going on. Um, And polyamorous relationships can allow for people to define what those can be and look like. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And Sempy, uh you mentioned you are in polyamorous uh, relationship. What about your partner? Of course, he should be also polyamorous.
3: So that's the kind of the tricky thing with, with poly. He absolutely has the option you know if he finds another kind of love um that he wants to pursue and i've i've tried to set him up on a couple of dates none of them went well apparently i'm awful at picking out people for him <laughs> um but he you know he is he's a little bit older than me and and i've asked him a couple of times you know why don't you have someone else because at this point in time he doesn't and he is just you know he he says to me that he just doesn't feel that need to go looking for someone else and he feels at the moment totally satisfied with with just me uh and his and his video games i guess technically you could say he's dating his computer (laughs) um you know, but he has you know he has a lot of friendships. He has a lot of you know online gaming activities, uh, and he has has me to come home to. And he's just sort of of done. He you know that's the end of his list. But you know he he has definitely been attracted to other people, and um, he has dated in the past, and he's fine to do that. But he's he's never had anything else long term. But that's by choice. You know, um, I mm-hmm. encourage it. Uh, he just not there for him whereas with me you know he he's definitely encouraging me as well where i'm a little bit younger and you know i have some interests that that don't necessarily align with him one of one of the best examples that i can state is that i love anime um not sure how many people out there know what anime is google it but carefully google it um really cool japanese cartoons there's also a dark side to it so uh, food I adore it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ah uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he doesn't want to watch these things with me, but I don't want to watch them alone. So, you know, I've had, you know, friends that um one of one of my dear 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 friends is actually uh asexual. So they have no physical uh attraction to to other people. They have no desire for desire for this what was it? Carmen Eros? is that, am i using the right Greek there. Yes.
2: Yes, they're not awesome. interested or attracted to or aroused by erotic love.
3: Right. I'm going to bring this word back. It's my new mission. So <laughs> they don't have this Eros love, but they have this affectionate love. So they'll watch anime with me and we'll just cuddle. That's that's what we do, right? That's all they want. They get that fulfillment from me. I get that fulfillment uh, from them. And my partner it doesn't have to watch this stuff. He doesn't, you know, my nesting partner, my domestic partner doesn't have to watch the stuff he doesn't care about. So it's a win-win for for everybody um but i i understand how it can be difficult because it's really hard to openly talk to your partner about having needs that they don't meet or they don't want to meet maybe while also not making them feel you know as 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 though they're not enough yes exactly Um, And I think this is where a lot of people, particularly people who have only ever had monogamous relationships, sort of get hung up um, because, you know, how do you have that kind of conversation? It doesn't come naturally. It's something you really have to work at.
2: Those are also skills that will benefit people in monogamous relationships because we're also talking about, you know even if you're not looking outside of your monogamous relationship for another partner, it's still the case that there are times when people need to talk about what's missing. Otherwise, you know, podcasts like these or articles about how to spice up your love life in the long term, wouldn't be as popular as they are, right? (laughs) Sure. So learning the scripts to talk about, you know, the base we're talking about first step, learning how to make your partner feel good about the way that they do meet your needs and your desires, and learn how to talk about that first, and then move on to areas where you have need, but go in armed in that conversation with a real idea of what you actually need, and what you actually want, and be able to express it and talk about why honestly.
0: It's never been easier to send family and friends their favorite drink or a new cocktail no matter where they are in the world. With beer, wine, and liquor delivery to more than 175 countries, drinkablegifts.com is ready to help you send a toast around the globe.
1: And if we talk about uh, our needs, yes, being in some relationship with the person, uh, what is the main difference between polyamory and maybe open relationship? Because I think open relationship
3: presupposes that You have the freedom to choose. Um, Open relationships are definitely a form of polyamory. Polyamory is, you know, being the sort of catch-all term, you know, for a a myriad of non-monogamous relationships. Um, But what makes open relationships unique is that there is, as you mentioned, a freedom to do what you want. Um, sort of without necessarily having to talk to your current partner or partners as much. Um, I think one of the biggest examples that people instantly think of is open relationships can sometimes or, or, or oftentimes are people who are married or who are otherwise monogamous, but sometimes go and seek sexual fulfillment elsewhere. Yeah. and they have the freedom to do so because anytime you add extra people to your your sexual love life your eros love life again I'm really gonna bring that word back um you do have you know health concerns and people mm-hmm. in open relationships do do talk about this they do know their their health boundaries beforehand or they they should be if you're in a re- open relationship and you aren't talking about that beforehand i encourage you to please go do that right now stop listening to us and go make sure you're safe
2: (laughs) yeah this is is absolutely the right time for the the PSA because there are all sorts of risks out there and we don't have to get too deep in into like STDs and things but you know there are safer ways to share your bed Uh, please practice them please get tested with your partner's Please be open about how many sexual partners you have. Please use protection and uh, don't let anyone stop you from doing those things.
1: Yes, that's very good advice. (laughs) Uh, Also I've done some research uh, beforehand and there are some terms which kind of define the uh, notion of polyamory. Uh, mm-hmm. These are uh, mainly primary and secondary partners. Uh, so can you give us the understanding what is the main
3: difference between them? Oh, okay. So these terms, these, these primary and secondary partners terms, um, are sort of reference points, if you will. Uh, so it's natural when you date multiple people to sort of wonder, where do you fit in, sort of in a hierarchy. Right of of relationships, does this person come first? When do they come first? Right, and so in a lot of polyamorous relationships, not all of them, but but a good few, they sort of establish who the their primary partner is, who is the person that has um, sort of takes precedence as the person they're going to put the needs of first, versus who is the secondary partner. Oftentimes, there's this sort of natural shift. Um, a lot of my friends who are polyamorous, it, it's sort of understood that the person they've been dating longest is the primary and you know, their secondary is the person they've been dating, you know, the, the least long. Um, but it, it can also it can feel a little for for me, these terms feel degrading. I personally try and stay mm. away from them because mm-hmm. it's it's really hard for me personally to wrap my head around using them as not an insult intellectually i understand that they're not intellectually i understand this is just trying to make boundaries clear emotionally they're very very rough on me um so i i stay away from them and a lot of poly people do stay away from them so that they're not making any one of their partners feel like other. But it's, I mean, it is a necessary identifier, especially when you bring in things like polyamorous couples who have children, you know, polyamorous couples who have lives. You know, I'm very, very fortunate in having a workplace that doesn't care if I'm poly, so long as when I work, I work and I excel at it, right? Mm -hmm. But some workplaces do care. So you have to decide who is the partner you can be public about and who is the partner that only your intimate circle gets to know about? Um, and that's often the lines that are sort of drawn when people discuss their primary partner and their secondary partner.
2: This is a great place to just kind of sneak in that, yeah, polyamory is not new and we should talk about that more later. <laughs> um, but then, you know, so you've got your domestic partner and then, then you've got the, the date night partner. And maybe you've negotiated that with that person, you you might not even be having intercourse or sex. Maybe you only have oral sex. Maybe you just have a really fun stimulating date night. And this is the person that you go do the stuff that your partner is not interested in. Maybe you watch porn or maybe you <laughs> oh go to God. a strip club. <laughs> like, I, I mean, seriously, it's we need to learn to be less shameful and open about kind of these taboo things that we want, um, especially when things are getting into a rut, right? And so that might be the shorthand for what we call the secondary partnering. That's the person where you have a little bit of kind of maybe taboo fun or whatever you're not getting at home on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need a little injection of something new. So that's, that's one way to define it. Simpi has also mentioned, uh, you know, again, maybe you have that, that similar domestic partner and you're, your asexual cuddle partner. And again, that's not an intercourse relationship, but it is a very deep level of intimacy and, and it can include physical affection. Right. Mm-hmm. And I
1: remember uh, actually Sampi mentioning her partner being a nesting partner. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yes, yes. It's a uh, nesting partner is basically another term for domestic partner um, or you know, for somebody who is, you know, I, I personally am not, uh, I'm not sure that I'll ever marry um, just because I, I don't feel the need to uh, do that. I'm not religious and legally it doesn't really make sense for me to marry, but this is, this is my forever human, right? And, um, and one of my friends actually a couple of years ago introduced this nesting partner term to me. So I don't know how new or old it is, but I liked that because it's, it's very much what we're doing. We're building sort of this core foundation that no matter where else we go to explore for romantic love or adventures in life, we, we have this core you know, home, this nest to come back to. So it's my nesting partner. He's my guy. Nice,
1: <laughs> okay. And some other terms uh, that I found so can you give us the understanding what uh, what they mean, especially uh, triad? Yes, uh, metamorph, paramour, and unicorn,
3: which is really uh, so oh. strange. <laughs> oh, the mythical unicorn. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about triads and unicorn at once because they they kind of go together. Um, unicorns, how to describe unicorns? I will I will first off say that if you are in polyamorous circles. Um, Maybe you don't use the term unicorn so much. It's actually kind of um, insulting. But when somebody uses that, what they're talking about is wanting to find this magical, perfect person to fit them. Traditionally speaking, a unicorn is a female who is bisexual and willing to enter an existing male-female couple to date both of them. Emotionally, for, for for me if you're looking for for a unicorn you're looking for somebody who fits you and fits you perfectly and if you're a unicorn hunter you're being called a unicorn hunter is as negative as being called a slut oftentimes
2: okay i I can buy that yeah yeah I, I can buy that it's it's certain i mean two completely different terms and actually I, I really want to talk about the word slut a little later after we define uh, these other terms, um, but yeah, I can see how it has the same vitriol in, yeah. in in the polyamorous world,
3: which is I think where the term triad comes in. This is the this is the better term. This mm-hmm. is the more inclusive term. So um, a triad is is simply um, three people who have managed to find sort of what unicorn hunters are looking for, but it's not. It's not specific to bisexual women being added to an existing couple, right? A triad is simply a successful relationship built amongst three people.
2: And we've, we know of all sorts of examples of this, and some are more honest than others, but there are triads built of, say, a married couple and someone's other partner, uh, male or female you know, one partner has the, and, and, but there are examples of where the say that this one married partner knows that that is the case and perhaps encourages that. There are cases where, as Sempy has already mentioned, that, you know, someone's not interested in sex as in the case with, with asexual people, you know, they, they might be a a great nesting partner and want a great nesting partner, but, you know, encourage you to go have your heiress relationship elsewhere and be very good friends with that partner, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also the case, you know. There, there comes a stage of life, sometimes earlier than others for some people, where sex is no longer possible. Um, and if you're if you've been in a long term loving relationship and your partner finds themselves, so, and you find yourselves in such a situation, you are then faced with the question of of what to do. You love your partner, and your partner loves you. And now a big part of, probably a big part of your lives, that erotic component, for some reason or another, physical or, or otherwise, is gone. But you still love each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that, that's a, a very practical and, and difficult to discuss kind of question that can, can lead to the kind of triad that we're discussing here. Yeah, and, and there are plenty like of others.
1: New, it sounds like a new topic for our podcast. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well... We will think about it, surely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so we are left with metamor and Param- paramore, yeah?
3: So metamore and, and, and paramor are basically really fancy terms for a very simple concept. So and let me see if I can get this right on the first try. Paramore is your other partner, right? So you can talk about, I can say the sentence, you know, my nesting partner and my paramor the other person I'm dating right mm-hmm. yeah a metamor is your partner's other partner so for instance if my nesting partner were dating someone I could say you know my nesting partner's metamor right or my nesting or my metamor would be referencing my nesting partner's metamor um I have been polyamorous for going on gosh now seven years I still mix those up if I don't <laughs> use them right? I just, I tend to use people's names. I find that much easier. Um, But you can't always do that, right? For instance, you know, my partner has asked me not to mention his name on this podcast, so I'm not. um, And that's why I'm saying nesting partner and things like that. And, And there are other situations where that's the case. You may be in a social situation where everybody there knows about your polyamory, but they don't necessarily know about your metamore's polyamory. And so you respect them by using this term or by talking around it by saying the person my partner is dating. But that's a very long winded thing. So people who, um, you know, are more prone to having to be discreet use these terms. So if you hear that, that's what they're talking about. Simply the, the various people in their relationship, paramour being their romantic partners, metamore being their partner's romantic partners.
1: And I think there is this idea that, you know, people kind of maybe do not want to disclose their names for some reason or uh, to disclose the type of their relationship. Of course, it's normal uh, to keep something like in secret. But uh, do you think that this presumably can be because there is an idea that somebody is cheating on somebody mm. and sim- people simply do not want other people to know that they are cheated?
3: ha. <sighs> so yes there is uh, this huge stigma uh surrounding polyamorous relationships that they're really no better than cheating um i f- should just go on the record saying um that in polyamorous relationships in ethical polyamorous relationships there is informed consent from all parties you cannot cheat if you're adhering to the rules stated in your relationship But this can be really hard and awkward to explain, especially to people who are a little more set in the ways of what's the social norm, which for the U.S. right now is monogamy, right? So a lot of people won't mention to say their parents or their grandparents that they're polyamorous simply because they don't want to have this exhausting conversation explaining, no mom, I'm not cheating on my partner, he knows, he's cool with it, like that just having to say that is often not even worth the effort. So they yeah. just don't talk about it openly. Um, I didn't for a very, very long time, especially when I was in college. Cause there's also this idea that if you're poly, you're okay with cheating. I am not okay with cheating. I am not the person you should confide in and say, oh, I've been cheating on my wife. I will tell on you. <laughs> I will happily and eagerly tell on you because your wife deserves to know she deserves that respect. Um, So I, you know, for the longest time, especially in college, I just wasn't telling people I was poly because it, it, it put, when I did do it, it put me in a lot of weird situations where I found out things that I just, I didn't know how to deal with at the time. I know how to deal with now somebody telling me they're cheating. But at the time, I just didn't know. I was really young. I didn't know, you know, how to talk about it. I wasn't quite secure in, you know, who I was as a polyamorous person. I hadn't met a lot of other poly people. So I really struggled, especially early on, you know, was I a cheater too? just because I believed that I could love multiple people at once. And that's, it, you know, it's a really hard thing to, to talk about, especially with people who are close-minded, and especially when you're still finding your own footing in the
2: polyamorous mm-hmm. world. Yeah. This is a, a really good place to bring up a couple of things. And the first is Sempi said a phrase that is incredibly important and that we really should deconstruct. She said the phrase ethical slut. And so this is my plug because it's absolutely required reading, even if you're just curious about polyamorous relationships and spicing up the bedroom, particularly when it comes to the erotic side of things. But I would also submit that learning to talk openly and honestly and without shame about the erotic side of things can definitely improve communications in similar aspects and other areas. But anyway, the book I'm recommending is called The Ethical Slut, A Guide to Infinite Sexual Possibilities. It's by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy. It is, like I said, absolutely required reading and- and- the other ethical sluts in the polyamory world will know this book and they will work by its precepts. And some of the things that they will talk about in this book are open and honest communications with your partners. Going back around to cheating. We often use these words and I'll go back to like love and intimacy and affection and cheating as if everybody has the same definition of it. And we don't we
0: mm-hmm. all don't
2: and we all need to talk about that with our partners I, I i'll go ahead and make a couple of admissions i've been in polyamorous relationships i prefer polyamory i would really like to have a good domestic triad um but at the same time my libido isn't usually in line with another sexual partners i i most of the time, run more towards the asexual range when it comes to erotic intimacy. Um, I can be moved to other sides of the spectrum and that's a lot of fun, but a, a, another healthy sexual partner probably deserves and should have another a sexual partner besides me, okay? So if I were to define cheating, and I have before in other relationships, It is not necessarily cheating on me if you have sex with another person. I need to know that that other person is whatever their disease status is, and I need to know that you're practicing safe sex with that partner. Because I'm assuming that I am occasionally intimate with you. But that is something definitely that needs talking about and negotiating right off of the bat because in that case if you haven't told me about your outside sexual partner or if you didn't use protection when you slept with them you have violated our agreement then you have cheated on me
1: Mm -hmm. that's a really fresh Um, idea i would say
2: um so but i'm i'm just me and not every partner can accept that and i have to leave room if i'm going to negotiate for something like that right? I need to be aware of who you're sleeping with and how you're sleeping with them. Because I can't always provide you adequate sex, probably. Um, then so here
1: another question arises, um, will you be
2: jealous? I haven't been in the past. I know that that's very difficult for people to understand, but I highly value autonomy. And to a certain extent, I'm very introverted, and I, I need to have the ability to move closer and further away and closer and further away based on my needs to recharge my own energy in order to be able to give enough to our relationship. And some partners are, are need more than that. They deserve more than that. And if, I might not be a good fit for them. I'm aware of that. Other partners, that's they also need that kind of room. But that's the point is that my relationship doesn't look like anybody else's relationships, and that's okay. What is most important is that partners have come together and said, this is what cheating looks like for me. I've known people who are, absolutely, you cannot have sex with other people, but that just means penetrative intercourse. Yes, you can sort of, let's air quotes, play around with other people Mm -hmm. and things like that.
3: I think touching on this jealousy question that, that Allie brought up, I think it's important to note that jealousy is not necessarily a bad thing and it's not necessarily a deal breaker. Um, you know, Carmen's mentioned that she hasn't felt jealous in the past, um, clearly acknowledging that she might feel jealous in the future and that's okay. It's just something that you need to be able to talk about. And there's also a little bit of a difference between say jealousy and envy. Um, and I know that That's we often—that's a
2: really good distinction.
3: Yeah, there's, there's, we often use the words interchangeably. I don't blame people for using the words interchangeably, but there, there is a difference. And, and the difference is, is that when you're, when you're jealous of something, you have this internal fear that something's being taken away from you, or because somebody has something, you're not getting it, right? Yeah. Whereas when you have envy, you see something you want something but you don't want the other person to not have it right um so in polyamory this often shows up as uh you know maybe you've had this relationship with somebody for years and they find a new partner and they discover a new something that they do together this something can be as innocuous as going to a museum and as erotic as a fantastic sex position right? And you never knew you wanted this thing. You've never experienced this thing. But you see your partner doing it, enjoying it with someone else, and suddenly you want it too, right? That's okay. Just tell them. Just be honest with them. Hey, I saw you doing this with your other partner. Is that something we could try to do together too, right? Is that something we can now bring into our relationship now that I know that it's even an option, Um it can, it can cause your relationship to actually grow. Jealousy and envy, as contrary to popular mm-hmm. opinion as it, as it may be, can be healthy. It can spark you to talk about more openly things that you weren't talking about before. It's just a matter of understanding, you know, where your place is in the relationship. Right, and maybe being jealous can cause this con- cause you to realize you need to have this conversation. If you're if you're feeling jealous, if you're feeling like you're afraid something's being taken from you, that's really the time you need to t- to to evaluate: Do I really know where I stand? Do I really feel secure? And just have that conversation with your partner. Hey, look, I'm a little scared right now. Can we, you know, can we work on us? Can we work on my security? And if you're feeling envious, then, you know, asking them if you can bring those new things into your relationship. The answer may not always be yes. You may have to find somebody else to fulfill that. Maybe they only like museums with their other partner, right? That's fine. Some people have different chemistry. Maybe you need to go out and find the person you have that chemistry with. Um, It's all just a matter of being open and honest rather than ashamed. That's a really good point, I I should admit.
2: This is a really great point to go back again to that level of introspection and honesty and remembering that emotions are indicators, okay? As often as possible, even when it's uncomfortable, we can try to embrace those emotions and understand what they're trying to indicate to us. I, I try to think of emotions like that as part of the dashboard lights on your car when the check something light comes on on your car uh you don't just ignore it hopefully hopefully you you kind of look under the hood or get a diagnostic test going or whatever and you figure out what's wrong with the car what it needs to turn that indicator off and emotions are very much the same way and like Sempia has mentioned they present opportunities for expansion and growth and they also represent opportunities to go to a partner, whether they're a friend or an intimate partner or anybody and be vulnerable. Saying I'm scared is hard. Mm -hmm. Saying I want something different is hard. But when you can be honest about I'm scared, uh, instead of going to your partner like, Accusatory or with blame You really can open up a better path where they are able to lose some of their defensiveness, too And you're able to say stuff like I wasn't prepared For feeling the way that I did when we got into this relationship or or When you got into your relationship, I wasn't prepared for what I didn't know was missing
1: Those are really good thoughts Carmen. Thank you for that. Sempi, do you have any more thoughts on societal views you have to overcome with polyamory?
3: Goodness. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Um, you and I touched on this when, when you asked about even doing this podcast. And we, we talked about sort of this notion of um, how the stigma for men and women in polyamory is sort of opposite what it is in monogamy, in that when a man dates one woman, it's you know or mary's commits to one woman we have these these we call them jokes but i don't think they are um you know where she's the ball and chain and he's being drugged down and he's not having fun anymore but if he's dating multiple women right um or, or multiple partners even then oh man what a stud and what fun he's having and look at him able to juggle all of this he's on top of the world yeah the opposite is is true for women right i i've definitely experienced you know People who have told me, uh, you know, oh, you should, you should settle down. Oh, your life will improve if you just pick one guy. Oh, you haven't found the right one yet. Um, Because, you know, they think of a woman dating one guy as successful. She's done it. She's, that's the goal. But a woman dating multiple partners. Oh, look at her. She's so lost. She's so confused. And that's really hurtful such a slut (laughs) yes what a whore (laughs) scarlet a on my chest i mean
2: but it's true right we definitely i mean we can't not talk about it can we
3: yes oh no i think i think we have to yeah for sure um
2: yeah the wow the it's such a, it's such a, you know, I think P, you, you, you hear it, you see it, you can go online and you can see it you can see it even outside of a discussion of polyamorous relationships. You can see it uh, in, in the, the first girl in high school that everybody finds out has had sex, even when she didn't. <laughs> right. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm using, I'm being very generalized here. When I say we, I'm talking about we as a society and because I, you know, I'm a Westerner, I'm to t- definitely rooted in western society when i say this we Uh, but we we shame people for loving sex or even the perception that they might enjoy it (gasps) how dare right (laughs) um the thing that got us all here by the way
3: (laughs) <laughs> if you're here, it's because at least your dad had an orgasm. You're
2: right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and and you're you know what? Your mom should have too, honestly speaking. So Oh no. I hope she
2: did. I really hope she did.
3: <laughs> and that's and that's I think that's the discrepancy, especially in Western culture. Men are, you know, encouraged, allowed. This is a thing they're supposed to do. Boys will be boys, as they say. Oh. But but uh, but women are, are you know, they're not. They're not supposed to enjoy this. They're not supposed to own their sexuality. This is, goes back to terms of being a virgin. I hate this word, mm. virgin, right? And, and I'm not to say that, the, that this idea that you've never had sex doesn't exist. You can certainly have never had sex before and be inexperienced sexually, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Where I start hating it is this idea that you're worth comes from that that you were somehow better because nobody's ever touched you before inversely you're somehow worse because you're a slut and you get around
2: less pure
3: right and that's somehow your
2: purity is attached to how many times (laughs) you have been penetrated
3: and that's just that's insane to me but it's still something. once is
2: too much or it can be Mm -hmm. stereotypically speaking right the idea that that your your lesser or tainted um, is tied up in this idea of of you know wanting more than one partner and this is why i love and i'm going to plug again the ethical slut a guide to infinite sexual possibilities by donnie easton and, and janet hardy these authors they want us to reclaim the term slut and redefine it as quote a person of any gender who has the courage to lead life according to the radical proposition that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. And I find it very difficult that under under honest and fair and and ethical terms, the way that they prescribe within the book, difficult to argue with the idea that sex is good and pleasure is good for you. There is a lot of research that suggests that good sex makes you live longer that orgasms release all sorts of happy things in your brain that you should have more of, and not just orgasms. Affection, human touch.
3: We'll point out that good sex can be your 30 minutes of cardio for the day.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
3: (laughs) And, you know, who doesn't want more cardio in their lives?
2: Um, So there's definitely this dichotomy with, you know, the idea of having... Multiple partners for intimacy, whatever that means for you, and and that that does get wrapped up with the stereotype of shame and sluthood, and it, and it's there for guys too. Like there's this thing about the playa. You know, hate the playa, don't hate the game. Is that how it goes? <laughs>
3: yes, mm-hmm. but it's really only accepted um, to a point with guys. Like yes. if you're if you're in high school, if you're in college, like yeah, way to go you. But once you cross that like thirties line, the big three O, right? Then it stops. You oh, need to grow you. up. Yes. Like, and
2: Your sexuality's supposed to be drying up by now, except
3: Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I think that we need to, uh, as I'm going to plug it again, and I'm going to mention that we're not being paid to plug it, but as the ethical slut no. mentions, um, you know, it, it, this, we should just get to this notion, this genderless notion that mm. sex is good and being honest and open and healthy about it, and that does mean protecting yourself, I'm going to plug that yes. again because yes. I can't plug it enough, then then you're doing a good thing, Right ultimately you fucking a hundred guys if that's what you want to do if, if you've got the stamina to do that that's not hurting anybody else provided you're doing it ethically right and i this idea that we're going to be judged by it for what we essentially do in our free time is absurd and harmful and it's it's causing a lot of unnecessary shame an unnecessary depression and people who are who are simply struggling to find out how to live life and how to love,
2: right? And that's just and I we all so. want that. We all want and need love and affection in our lives, and none of us comes with a manual for how to do it or you know some you know definitive. Guide on how is the best way for you. It's different for all of us.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I should interject there that I think it's crazy only when you apply it to somebody else. If those are your personal values, if you have sat there and decided that for you it matters the number of people you've slept with, that's fine you can You can base your worth on whatever you want to base your worth on, provided it's only you don't get to force that on other people you don't get to shame other people for finding their self worth from from other things right some guys think that they're macho because they can score a touchdown yeah i think i said that sentence right i don't do sports other guys base their you know self-worth on their ranking in overwatch right Mm -hmm. both are fine both are valid you should feel like a badass for either but you shouldn't shame somebody for not living up to your own personal standards
2: yeah yeah thank you for that reminder simpy and i don't mean to call anyone crazy if, if you know if their self-worth you know is tied up in in, in those things i absolutely agree you know it is when you apply that to others outside of your own dynamic mm-hmm. or your own life that it really becomes problematic do the things that feel good for you within reason and healthy and honest ways
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: Agreed. I have really, really enjoyed being a part of this conversation. I really hope that it is helpful to listeners, whether they're curious about polyamorous relationships or, or not. Uh, I hope that there are other, there are useful things here for any relationships and I really appreciate the opportunity to have been here, Ellie.
3: Yes. I, I absolutely just ditto on, on all of that. This has been you know, Allie, when you, when you asked me if I would come on and do this, I don't think that I uh, anticipated it getting, you know, quite so deep, quite so personal, Uh, but I I like where it went. Um, I just, I want to echo Carmen' sentiment that just because we talk about communication styles or love styles in the context of polyamory, it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply elsewhere. So even if you're you're listening to this and you're going, nope, 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 polyamory isn't for me, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Totally you, valid. Yeah. You live your best life, but maybe take a minute to think about the other things that we talked about, emotional techniques for dealing with jealousy and versus envy, you know, and how to open up those lines of communication. Because at the end of the day, all of this is about learning to love learning to open yourself up and learning to do it better
1: yes 100 percent. and thank you very much uh, for sharing your expertise and uh, i totally benefited from it not only as a host but just you know getting to know something mm-hmm. is is always great so thank you so much for coming <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i hope Thanks. to see you again in some future episodes maybe if you agree.
3: <laughs> <laughs> any time, anytime. Yeah,
2: I, I, it's been a real great pleasure and I, I would love to do more.
1: Yeah, so thank you so much. I hope to see our listeners again in a month's time. And of course, we will meet as usually at our podcast, Long Distance Short. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Long Distance Short giftbasketsoverseas.com's podcast with real people and real long distance relationships make sure to subscribe and keep tuning in for new episodes every month if you have any questions or ideas for a future podcast, make sure to drop us a line at podcast at giftbasketsoverseas.com that is podcast at